So what I like to do in August is take some of the pieces of art culturally that have been meaningful to me. That would be uh, TV shows, movies, and songs primarily. So uh, my two shows that I continue to think about this year uh, would definitely be Succession and The Bear. Um, and those are two, and so we'll be talking about those. Uh, a song by Boy Genius, uh, and then uh, one other uh, piece that I'm, I'm trying to reconcile which, which best frames it. It's going to be about anger, so I don't know if it's going to be a, uh, a song or a, a, a beef on, on Netflix. But the, the idea is to think through what is ministered to me, what have, we found in, what have I found in, 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 the, in the world of, of human creation that has spoken to me about who are the human condition, about God, the world we live in. And so what I wanted to start off actually was talking about the human creation of artificial intelligence and the way that that's impacted the world. So I'm calling this the AI sermon. This is about the way that the, this thing that has suddenly emerged into, into our consciousness is uh, artificial intelligence. Uh, so it's not, it's not art. It can kind of create art in some very bizarre ways. I should have, oh, I missed opportunity. I should have shown you some of the art I made of uh, uh, for using artificial intelligence. But, oh, well, that ship sailed. Uh, so let's begin by framing the conversation around Scripture. Uh, today's Scripture is found in Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. Now, the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, and they found a plain in Shinar and settled there, they said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them together thoroughly. They used bricks instead of stone for tar and tar for mortar. Then they said to each other, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language have come together to do this, then nothing they plan will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not be able to understand each other. So the Lord scattered them there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language for the whole earth. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Let's pray. Father, we come together confessing our burdens, aware of our bodies, what we're carrying, aware of our souls, this need for rest. Teach us what it means to come to you, to be unburdened, and to find rest for our souls. And as we consider our heart and the technologies that we create, may we learn to steward all things under your loving um, care. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So I'm going to talk about technology. And so we're going to talk a little bit about AI, but before we do, I want to frame for us from the scripture the ways that AI is theologically uh, an old variation, a new variation of a very old song. It's about the technology we create and the tendency to use those technologies uh, in ways that ultimately undermine our own flourishing, uh, that move us away from God. So bricks are a new technology as the people spread out over the earth. Uh, well, actually, as they move together as one tribe, according to this, uh, to this passage, um, bricks and became necessary. As they were gathering and moving and saying, like, if we don't 
build upward, we're going to have to spread outward. And we're in a place where there aren't enough stones to make large structures. This is a time to build a large upward structure. You needed to, to form and shape stones by, with masons to build foundations that you could build upward on top of. Bricks created new possibilities for building, and, and they're cheap. Um, now, this takes place. There's a couple things in this story that are important to understand thematically what's happening, because the, the, the passage is about to move from the end of chapter 11 into the story of Abraham, and it's going to be much, it's going to feel much less mythical and much more grounded in real people in a time and place. It's going to, uh, the story's going to move forward through Abraham. Um, but what we have in the book of Genesis here in the first 11 chapters is a steady movement eastward, starting in the garden, Adam and Eve being exiled to the east. And, and as you read the first 11 chapters of Genesis, you find east is a the theme as people are moving away from Eden, away from God's plan, away from the place that God made for them, and building the foundation of what will become the chief rival to God through, throughout the rest of the story of Scripture. The chief rival to the kingdom of God is empire. And this is literally building the foundation of Babylon here, that the bricks that are in the space and the desire and what they're, what's happening there are building the foundations for, um, for, for Babylon. So, some of the questions I think that the passage wants us to grapple with, and what I think I want us to grapple with as we think about uh, AI, is how do we use the freedom God has given us? If we bear God's image, and God is a creator, what sorts of things do we create? What, is it, what can we understand about our imp in impulse to create? The people are settling in, in Babylon, they're moving away from God, they're, they're, they're moving away from Eden, they're using this new technology uh, called the brick. Now, where they are, there's no stone. So if they want to build large buildings, they would have to import stones um, across a desert, which I don't know much about civilization back then, but I imagine moving stones now is quite expensive and difficult. How much more then without the use of the dump truck? Um, and so as they go, they go to the place settling east of, uh, east of Eden, and they discover that they can, they can take the mud, they can form it and shape it into a brick, dry it out, use mortar to hold it all together, and they can now begin to build upward. Um, and I've got good news for us this morning, as we are ensconced in bricks. Bricks aren't evil. I know. Let that settle in. There's nothing evil about a brick. Uh, good news for you. Uh, you don't... Uh, bricks are new technology that allow new kinds of structures to be built. Stable houses that can withstand the wind, the rain, the storm, uh, the ability to build larger dwellings, larger spaces. Um, you don't have to drag stones across hundreds of miles, shape them to fit them together to build homes and palaces and temples or whatever you want. Now you can take the mud that's already there, you can bake a brick, uh, and then you can build larger structures. So with this discovery, with this innovation, comes stability, strength, good, good things. I think the, the, the brick being a, a major, major human innovation um, that, was, that was good. Um, to an Israelite, what would they think of when they hear the word bricks? What's in their story that involves bricks? And perhaps this would be 
uh, story that is defined and shaped by those experiences in Egypt, where they were forced by Pharaoh to make bricks. When Pharaoh got mad, he said, now you have to make um, bricks without res- less, with fewer resources, more bricks with fewer resources to them. The brick is what empires use to make a name for themselves, to exploit cheap labor, uh, and to build um, the kinds of structures that are being built here in Babylon. Essentially, uh, the, the technical name for it is a ziggurat, but it's a, a structure that's used to invite the gods and, and to basically create their own gods for worship. Um, these images in the creation, what they're doing, are meant to be a dark, a black mirror, to use a, another modern art piece that's very significant in our time and day and age, the black mirror in epic, um, is a dark reverse image of creation. You're meant to look at Genesis 11, remembering the first three chapters of, of Genesis, and that their creation, there are at least three parables, no, there are at least three parallels, I almost said parabolas, just to get all the parallel words out of there, there are at least three parallels that I found to uh, Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Uh, you'll recall the first of the three is the phrase, let us make. Where do you, where do you remember hearing that phrase, let us make, in Genesis 1, 2, and 3? It's when... Yeah, let us make man in our own image. So that the phrase let us make is first made by God when he's creating something, that he is making humans in their image. How does he do that? Well, that's the second parallel. He's shaping mud and making, in, in much the same way, he is fashioning uh, in the image of, 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 of Adam and breathing life into it. So the first image is let us make. That's the first parallel. The second is the very act of shaping mud and, and dirt uh, to build is, is also what God does. And, and then the third is naming. And this is significant. When, when God creates, he also names. And in fact, part of the first three uh, days of creation is more about naming than creating. What he's doing is he's naming light and darkness and giving it a purpose. He's naming land and sea, and, and in that gives it, it gives it a, a purpose there, that he's shaping, forming, creating purpose in those acts. If you read those first three chapters uh, of Genesis, you'll see, I don't want to get into this right now, so uh, you'll, you'll see that God is creating meaning and purpose out of a creation, that he's shaping, forming uh, in, in, in the creation that he's making. Naming is sacred. Naming is a, is a, is a something that ascribes identity um, and value. It's, it's something that we receive from God, that, that God declares as good. It's receiving the, the declaration of goodness over creation um, and the blessing of God uh, rather than making our own name for ourselves. And this is a story of, of our rebellion reaching its natural conclusion and an end. So as they move further and further eastward, away from God's design, away from God's purposes, they begin to form empire uh, and build a world in their own image, seeking to control and master out from under God's authority, to make a name for themselves. The problem, of course, was never the bricks. The problem are the people making the bricks and their intention behind them to create independent of God, to form and shape independent of the life-giving presence of God, and to make a name for themselves and declare for themselves what is right and what is good. This is 
a passage that's about our power to create, to innovate, um, and it is about our tendency to use those power, to use that power for ourselves, uh, which is moving away from God's calling to lovingly bear God's image into the world that he made. That it's a movement away from that to get out from image-bearingness into a, a space of declaring for ourselves um, and using technology in, in the way that that always leads to oppression. So, what new technology has emerged into human consciousness in the last year? That's why I wanted to talk to you about AI today and talk about AI as a brick. A brick that is a technology and innovation that can be used for good and a technology that can be used for bad. But I just, as I was researching this and getting ready, everyone that I read that knows far more than I do, um, which is generally speaking, the people I read know more, far more than I do, that's part of why I read, uh, is saying that AI is, uh, is going to change the world in ways that we can barely begin to understand. Do you remember when you got your first email? You're like, this is pretty cool. You know, save on postage. This is really, like, you didn't necessarily, if you're like me, you didn't realize what the internet was going to do. In fact, Bill Gates famously thought that the internet was going to be a fad. Um, I think it's safe to say he was wrong about that, uh, that, that it's, it's here to stay. Uh, so, perhaps, trying to write history, Bill Gates calls uh, AI the greatest technology since the graphic user interface, the GUI. And you say, yeah, the GUI, I know what that is. Um, don't worry, I, I had to make sure I got it right too and did a quick Google. Uh, but what, what he's referring to is, is essentially, and this is a little self-serving since he's the guy that is known for Windows and famously uh, sued Steve Jobs for taking that, his graphic user interface and creating the Mac operating system. Uh, but it's, it's essentially what moved computing from engineers having specialized skills and, and ability to program, you know, starting with punch cards. I don't even know. Didn't, you know they used to program with these punch cards that they put in there and, and computers would be as big as this room and, and they would be as hot as the sun and they were like, they were, they were exclusively used by what we affectionately call nerds. And, as a self-described nerd, I'm allowed to say that about my people. Um, and so he says what, gra what, what graphic user interface did is it, is it brought computers from the specialized places into the house. How many of you remember a time before computers and when the first computer came home? All right, yeah, of course, good, I'm with my people. We got an Apple IIc and it had a floppy drive and. My, my next-door neighbor had gotten one a few years before called a Commodore 64, uh, which if you're uh, in the gaming community, you know that Commodore had cartridges and some very innovative games and, and things like that. Um, and, and so what the innovation of moving computers from this specialized place into a household, think about what that, how many of you had a set of encyclopedias growing up? I remember uh, there used to be people that would go door-to-door -door and sell encyclopedias because you couldn't settle, debts by, settle bets by Googling. You had to look up what a North American marsupial was and whether an opossum fed into that. You couldn't just say, no, opossums are marsupials and the only North American marsupial, just to make an example out of, out of thin air. Um, you had to go and, and that would settle that. If you had to do a, a, 
research paper, you needed access to this information. I remember when we got a computer with a CD-ROM drive that had a whole encyclopedia set on a CD-ROM. And uh, teens, sorry I had to be here for the old man talking today, but uh, there's a time when the internet and computing and, and it didn't exist, and little, let alone cell phones. So what, what Bill Gates did is, is that the, the question of AI is how closely you can mimic uh, human behavior. And so what, and I say mimic because it's, it's not actually an entity, it's not an actual intelligence, it's an artificial intelligence. So he said, I would be really impressed, open AI, if you could get your AI algorithm to pass the AP biology test. And so the AP biology test is 60 questions and um, teens. Do you remember how many for those of you who've taken the AP test, how many open-ended questions are? It's split between multiple choice and, and uh, I know this is the week you have to go to school and here I am talking about AP. Uh, very insensitive of me. But he, it's, it's 60 questions and open-ended questions at the end. And so the AI took the test, got a 59 out of 60 in the multiple choice, and then did perfect on the open-ended questions. And this was graded by... Uh, professional AP graders who didn't know that they were dealing with something an AI had written, and it scored perfect marks across the board. And then he was talking to a group of engineers, and he then asked the AI, what would you say to console uh, parents of a, that had a child that was very sick? And he said what the AI said in response to cons console that parent was better than he said than most of us in this room could ever dream of saying to a parent. Now, Caveat is he's talking to engineers, so, you know, <laughs> we love our engineers, and, uh, but they're not always the ones with the most ability to empathize and offer words of consolation. But, uh, so, but that, that caveat said, uh, he said that, that AI is able to, to, to replicate uh, people in passing an, an advanced placement uh, biology and also in offering words of consolation to, to a parent. And, he went on to say that artificial intelligence is as fundamental as the creation of the microprocessor, the personal computer, the internet, and the mobile phone. Think about how significant those innovations have been. It will change the way people work. And I'm going to, this is a little, I, I think the, the, the verbs are wrong. So I'm going to change the verbs to present tense because it's happening already. It is changing the way people work, learn, travel, get healthcare, and communicate with each other. Entire industries are orienting around it. Businesses will distinguish themselves by how well they use it, is what's happening. Businesses will be make or break on how well they're able to use, utilize AI into their platform. Um, now, AI is artificial intelligence. It's not actual intelligence. It's limited by us. It's able to synthesize large amounts of information very quickly. Uh, I was teaching a, a college class earlier this year, and one of the papers that was submitted to me, uh, a book reflection, uh, was clearly written by AI. I could just, I'd read her other pages, her papers. This one, tonally, grammatically, very different. No shade on her, it was just, it was an immaculate paper. And so I went to my dean and said, I, I just received a, a paper that was clearly written by AI, and dean said they didn't have any, any policies yet, I have to give her an A. And, and so I decided, I'm just going to go play with AI. So I typed in there, uh, write a, uh, 
a five-paragraph, two-page essay comparing and contrasting the anti-war themes of Red Badge of Courage and All Quiet on the Western Front. And so it, like in 30 seconds, wrote it out. Uh, I was like, wow. But it still was really stiff. And so I said, make it more informal. And the first sentence of this new essay was, the authors of All Quiet on the Western Front and Red Badge of Courage both think that war sucks big time. <laughs> Mission accomplished. That was very colloquial. That was very <laughs> of the people. Uh, so, but it, what it's able to do is able to synthesize information and, and create it, learn from us, learn how we write, learn from us that war does indeed suck big time. And, uh, uh, and, and there's, a, there's a lot of hope in AI. I was, uh, there's a, a, a teenager at FCC next door who is working on a nonprofit to take recycled um, solar panels and an inverter and 20 Chromebooks and, make a, and Starlink and make a mobile classroom that can go anywhere in the world and just where there's sun, there's a classroom. And to use AI as a teacher to help people learn to read, learn basic mathematics, learn basic skills. When I say AI has the potential for good, it has an unlimited potential to do good that we can't even imagine. It can solve problems like LA traffic. If AI can think of innovative ways to, especially if cars are linked together, to solve traffic problems. When you think through, I ordered something in Maui on Amazon that arrived at my, my house 24 hours later. If you must know, they're wipes to clean my glasses because they're chronically dirty. But when you think about all the artificial intelligence, especially in, in areas of, uh, what does AWS specialize in? in database management, whatever it is. When, you, when you're talking about supply chain and the AI over, taking over uh, supply chain issues, it's making our, our, and will continue to make our life safer, faster, cheaper. There's a lot of concern about a lot of jobs that are gonna be lost over that, but that, that's what happens whenever there's new technology and new, new jobs begin to emerge as certain industries sunset. That just, how things go. I sound like Alex Smith now. Isn't he the one who wrote the economics book? Alex Smith? No, I got that wrong, don't I? Anyway, like I said, this is not my area of expertise, and it is like just about all areas that are in existence. That, that's just not my expertise. But um, there is one of, the, one of the great hopes is in, in, in medical technology. And so, will we ever not need doctors? We're going to need doctors. But a doctor who's able to use AI to put in symptoms that can take and, and take information in that, that even the brightest doctors in the world could, not, could never synthesize to create potential for um, treatment plans. Is, it's doctors and technology. It's, it's, there's ways that we can um, find hope, especially around the world and in areas of the world that don't have opportunities for education and things. There, there's so much good in uh, in AI. And what, as I was reading about AI, thinking about it, what I was really struck by 
is the importance of what is the bottom line. Is the bottom line human flourishing? Is it health and safety? AI is a brick that can really help us. It's a tool and device that can, can, can create new possibilities and new frontiers. But if the bottom line is profit and maximizing profit shares, it can isolate and divide us. Here is where you've experienced AI, perhaps without even knowing it. Social media. When you go on to X, <laughs> or Meta, like they own Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. TikTok, I think, was the first on this. They had an algorithm that they developed that would keep primarily teenagers engaged in the platform as long as possible. The reason being, the longer a, per a person is on TikTok, the more money TikTok makes off of that person through targeted ads. Same with any social media. When you're scrolling through social media, the intent is to keep you connected as long as possible. Because one of the great maxims that's helped me is if the platform's free, you're the product. And what the algorithms learned about us is that what keeps us connected, and the longer you're connected, the more they're profiting off of us, the more we scroll through, um, what keeps us connected is, well, let me show you this. Here's a slide. This is a longitudinal study of 20 years of, I think it was 46 million different articles. Um, do we have that, Jesse, by the way? Um, I, think, I think it should be on here. It's going to look really fancy. Six different line graphs. And what they're going to show us is, uh, so prevalence of emotional payload in headlines from 47 popular outlets, uh, N equals 23 million. So this probably done by AI, because I don't know that you could have a research study of 23 million different articles. Um, but it went through and tracked the change in articles that are targeted towards specific emotions. So let's take Inger, top left. There was, you can see the increase from the year 2000 to the year 2020 in articles that had trigger words in it that were meant to provoke anger, disgust. There's fear, a steady increase in fear. And I'll just say, pay attention between 2015 and 2016, because I think that's when things really changed. There must have been something culturally going on at that time. Um, uh, joy. Do you see the decrease in articles that are meant to instill joy? Sadness? And here's what's most alarming. Look at the, the bottom right is the decrease in articles that are emotionally neutral um, over, uh, over a 20-year period, a 30% decrease in that. Um, but of course, anger is the number, or anger and fear. Anger has an increase in 104%, which is just about doubling, and fear, 150%. So that's more than doubled, the number of articles that increase fear. Why is that, do you think? Because what AI has learned from our browsing patterns, what keeps us the most connected to social media is anger and fear. These, these 
what they found, and here's where social science comes in, is what they found is that these feelings and these emotions connect to the same part of our brains as a slot machine or as a drug. And the brain, being the pleasure-seeking organ that it is, likes that feeling, likes how you feel when you're engaged in that way, and says, more please, as these companies continue uh, to profit off of us, particularly news outlets and the social media platforms that primarily drive the spaces where we get our news. And as we head towards another election cycle, the question is, what do these trends mean for the real life we're living, to how we think of our neighbor and how we hold this country together? What sorts of articles and, and trend lines should we experience as another election cycle um, begins to ramp up? Um, AI has learned a lot about us. And um, what I've begun to do is, is to pay serious attention to, to my own social media consumption. My presumption is, fundamentally, AI is a brick. Is it good, is it bad? Well, whose hand is it in and what do they want from it? What are they gonna use it for? Um, AI is a tool that can uh, innovate to make our lives easier and safer, uh, that can provide education in parts of the world where there are no teachers. AI can also divide this country in half through algorithms and connecting us uh, in ways that drive us apart from our neighbor. The temptation is to run from technology, but the problem with running is wherever we run, our heart goes with us. Because the problem is never technology. The problem is us. Um, so I began to, to, to monitor the social media accounts I follow. And, um, and, and, and as I scroll through, this is, this is an interesting experience to do. Scroll through your social media feed, what it gives you. Because do you remember when Instagram changed and Facebook, they changed from just a simple timeline of here's what came and here's what the order came in into an algorithm that dictated to you what you saw first. Well, who's deciding what you see first? The algorithm. What are they basing it on? What keeps you connected? What keeps you hooked the longest? What provokes in you the strongest of emotions? And I began to pay attention and to even see that the, the screen really is a black mirror and reflects back to me, myself, what intrigues and interests me. Uh, and unfortunately, that's often these emotions of, of senses of moral outrage and indignation and, and things, you know. AI has learned from me what keeps me connected and coming back again. Um, it helps me get my package from Amazon faster, uh, and it also is a wedge in our country right now, uh, of feeding us uh, information about people who are often just simply politically aligned differently than us. AI is a, um, okay. This is where I really realized I was preaching next door. I was like, why are kind of ended on a dark tone. And, uh, you know, to be fair, the passage ends with people scattering uh, across the world and, and God coming in. So uh, to be fair, it is a dark passage. Uh, and the hope comes in Genesis, the next chapter when God sends Abraham uh, in west. Um, but what, what God did is he confused the languages, um, which is Babel, they were babbling to each other. This is the root word of the word Babylon. Uh, this is the foundation of empire and as God begins to, to start a new story through a new people. Um, this story ends with the people scattering. 
But it's important to remember, the Bible doesn't end in Genesis 11. It ends in Revelation 22. And what we see here of the people scattering and, and creating new language, new culture, um, new technologies, new music, new foods, like, as we spread out across the world, we continue to create. And each pocket of the world creates new, beautiful, wonderful things. And when Revelation ends, Revelation 22 ends, it's with all of human culture, all of human innovation coming back together. And God not saying, let's get rid of all those old things, but saying, let's bring all this good, diverse creation and culture together under the banner of Christ. And so with technology comes the invitation to place it under the authority of Christ, to say, AI, as an educator in Mozambique, is beautiful. It's good. And I can tell you a nonprofit that's starting to do that right now in your own backyard. Um, we ought to be supporting things like that. But other places it's used simply to mine us out of, uh, out of as much money as we can needs to be brought under the authority of Christ who's making all things new and bringing all things uh, under uh, his authority again. It's happening around us, and like anything, God's calling us to be grown-ups with discernment. Um, I think the, the backdrop, I think culturally, uh, a lot of this conversation is happening around the movie Oppenheimer. And so what I wanted to do is end a, a quote of uh, J.R.R. Tolkien about Oppenheimer. Uh, it turns out he was a real person. Uh, I didn't know if you that. Uh, this is a, I know with Nolan movies, you're like, what is happening right now? Uh, but uh, uh, this, is, this is what he wrote when, when he, from Britain, learned about the, uh, the atomic bomb. bomb. He said, the utter folly of these lunatic physicists to consent to do such work for war purposes, calmly plotting the destruction of the world, and then saying that you hope this will ensure peace, well, we're in God's hands. And he does not look kindly on Babel builders. The world is in God's hand, and he is bringing a lasting peace. But he does not look kindly on Babel builders but those who work for true and lasting peace and are living our lives forward into a place where all is brought under God's authority. For God, for Jesus declared to us, repent for the kingdom of God is here. It's at hand. We can live in it now. So come to the table. I invite you uh, to your right and behind you to come and, and take the bread and the cup. Um, and as you return to your seats, consider the importance of unplugging from the mad rush of technology. We, after spending some time meditating on what it means to find rest for our souls, um, consider that finding rest for our souls includes regular fasts from media, uh, unplugging and being fully present in the world as we dedicate ourselves to bearing the image of God and working for his peace. Let's pray together as we come to the table. Father, as we come to the table, we do so as part of a long history of humans who are using technology to bless, to heal, to see flourishing, and to see new ways to do harm to one another. I pray that as we are born into a world where technology is seemingly, and information is, is changing faster than has ever happened in human history, I pray that you would ground us in a sense of being and presence from you. That we would learn from you how to live. For you are humble of heart. 
and you come to bring rest for our souls. Give us the rest we need in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Come to the table.